All in the Rhythm, the Blueprint Series. I am Philip Llanos, your host. This show is about how personal philosophy affects creative work and life. You'll hear from successful writers, vloggers, and business content creators that are living proof of the benefits of discipline. Beyond bragging rights, this show is about sharing their blueprint with you. Open heart, open mind, and ask questions. Maybe this is the blueprint for you. Today's guest is Frank Sesno, an Emmy award-winning journalist with more than 30 years of experience reporting from around the world, well-known as an anchor, White House correspondent, and talk show host on CNN. He's a nationally renowned moderator who has engaged some of the world's leading personalities and appears regularly on U.S. and international media. Frank interviewed heads of state, including five U.S. presidents and other influential figures like Bill Gates, Benjamin Netanyahu, Condoleezza Rice, Anderson Cooper, Karl Rove, Hillary Clinton, Colin Powell. He's interviewed Nobel Prize-winning scientists, renowned economists, Hollywood celebrities, CEOs, best-selling authors, and leaders from a wide range of industries. And I asked him to come onto the show because I read his book, Ask More. Right off the bat, you'll see that it's packed with interviews and stories from dozens of these leaders that we just mentioned earlier. And by the end of the book, you end up discovering what to ask and when, and what you should listen for, and how each different type of question can move you towards your goals, especially in an age of instant answers. So now, without further ado, Frank says no. So can you tell me a little bit about what made you write Ask More? Yeah. Well, it's very much sort of what you were saying. You know, I, I, we, we, we teach public speaking in school. We have debate teams, but we don't actually teach people how to ask questions how to frame them, how to word them, how to present them. We don't teach people how to listen. I mean, then think about that for a minute. What I realized is that my whole life has been spent asking questions. As a journalist, certainly as a student before that, I had an eighth grade chemistry teacher one time who stopped class in the middle and kind of pointed to me and said to all the other classes, you all should be, you know, because my hand was up every three seconds because I didn't know what the heck he was talking about. But I wasn't afraid to ask. When I was in, I think, fourth grade, I remember, we were sending people up into space. It was kind of a new thing back then. And I recall going in and I asked my mother, I said, how did, how did they go to the bathroom up there? <laughs> and she said, go ask your teacher. So I did it. It was, those were the days when that was such an embarrassing thing to ask. Apparently the teacher took me out into the hall to, to answer the question. <laughs> oh my God. But what I realized as I thought about the book is I have learned so much from the questions I've asked about things and places, but mostly about people, what people like and what they fear about what they've done and where they feel they failed about what's going on inside. And I, I, I really started thinking that we come at this in such different ways. And so my objective was to come up with different categories, types of questions. Think of it as a taxonomy of questioning. And um, as I went and talked to people for the book, remarkable questioners themselves, I call them the sort of master questioners, I realized they're asking with different outcomes in mind. And as they ask and what they ask, and I've done this myself without realizing it with the interviews that I did at CNN and NPR and elsewhere, is they're outcome driven. <laughs> you want to figure out what's wrong? You ask a certain set of questions in a certain way. You want to look over the horizon and plan for the future and take a big risk. You ask or should ask questions in a certain way. You want to think really out of the box, drive a brainstorming session at work, prompt people to really swing for the fences. You ask questions in a really imaginative way 
I call them time travel questions. You want to get a sense of your value or your worth or what life's all about, you ask another set of questions that touch on the spiritual. So breaking them down like this helped me realize that, yes, they're driven by different outcomes. We phrase them and frame them differently. We listen for different things. And if we can find, if we can A, understand it and then fine tune it, not only do we get better at the questioning, but we become more successful. We actually become more successful as leaders in our work, as partners in our lives, right? As parents or as kids, as discoverers, you know, human beings are just naturally curious. So why don't we spend any time thinking about how we direct our curiosity or the discipline of our curiosity? I mean, we do in some places. That's what the scientific method is about, right? Really trying to train how you go at a research question. But most of us don't. We just kind of randomly go on in life. Yeah, no, and, and, I'm, and I'm glad I'm glad that you, you were able to elaborate on all those fine points because one of the themes of, of this entire session is supposed to be on how personal philosophy affects creative work and life. And it looks like the fact that you, were, that you took the courage to ask those questions for anything that you spotted and said, I don't know what that means. Yes. I mean, my personal philosophy is, has been formed by a number of, of things. And, and one is um, I, have a, I have a sister with Down syndrome, so I grew up with disabilities in my household and a sense of justice and injustice and voices that didn't get heard and people who were not seen all but invisible at a time when <laughs> they shouldn't be. Um, my folks had a horrible marriage and it was not a very happy household, even with a disabled sister. And, um, you know, my, 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 I was sort of the peacemaker or I tried to be. Um, and, and so a notion of kind of bringing people together and always believing that if you could talk, if you could communicate, you could make progress. doesn't always work that way as it turns out, but, but you try. As I've gone on and done the reporter thing, and now I'm at a university and I'm working with young people all the time, the and, I, and as I watch our country, where we are right now, my personal philosophy is we need to be engaged. We need to be curious. We need to have more question marks and fewer exclamation points in our lives because that's what helps us understand one another, empathize with people who are completely different than us, reach across the table when someone's in need. I don't know whether it's a personal philosophy, but, you know, it's said that, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think that really caring questioning may be the sincerest form of flattery because it says I'm engaged. I'm curious about you or this thing. And I care. You're right. There should be more question marks than exclamation marks at, at this point, especially with the proliferation of social media and, 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 and oh, how, yeah. how big it's become. And, and that's, oh, one of, yeah. that's one of the things. What's your, what's your position on, on how much social media you allow into your life? And have you, ever <laughs> noticed, have you ever noticed it get in the way of your work? It gets in the way of my work. It gets in the way of my life. My wife, you know, wants to take my, my smartphone and put, them at the bo- put it at the bottom of the soup when it comes when we go have dinner. <laughs> and I put it to the side. I mean, I, I, a lot of this is about listening. Okay, so we, we talk about Q&A. I think we should change Q&A to Q&L. Ask a question, really listen. Really, really listen. Well, you can't listen if you're, if you're doing 12 other things at a time. And I think social media and the technology is rewiring the human brain. We're constantly multitasking. We're having two conversations at the same time or more. 
And that takes us away from one another, you know, um, and we have to manage our technology or it will manage us. And so I think it's very important that, you know, one of the things I hope people get from, from the book and certainly that, that drives me is that people matter and you need to connect with them with your eyes and with your ears. You know, uh, a friend of mine used to talk about squinting with your ears and I talk about listening with your eyes. So that, that means you need to be present, right? Really present. I interviewed Anderson Cooper for the book and Anderson talks a lot about in the, in the, in the interviews he does, especially when he's out on the field, how he tries to be really, really present. He's concentrating on that person, on that thing, on that moment. And that's a lesson I think we can all take. Absolutely. That's powerful. And you know, it's, it's one of the things I picked up when I took acting classes, Mm -hmm. the the emphasis is placed on listening. And and I can honestly say that it's made me a better communicator because of that. Well, it's like improv, right? Where you're, where, you know, yes. And right. Have you ever done that? Absolutely. Of course. Isn't that fun? I mean, it's, I love that, but it means that you really need to be paying attention to the person next to you. Now imagine if we talk to our parents and our children and our partners like that. Yeah. It'd be a different story. Relationships would be stronger. Completely, because a lot of so many times you go into those conversations, not with a question mark, but with a statement or an accusation or just, you know, you just want to hear yourself talk. Part of my book was inspired by a really, really, really wonderful friend of mine whose marriage didn't work out early in life. And so she spent literally decades looking for the for the for the next best partner. And she did, you know, eHarmony and all these things that she'd go out to, to coffee and, and, and dinner with these guys. And she'd keep coming back and she'd say, you know, I just don't get it. And I'd say, well, what do you mean, Denise? She said, I just don't get it. I go out with these guys and they don't ask me anything about me. They just want to talk about themselves. I think in terms of the dating culture of today and how, what it's turned into now because of that, uh, where it's an application now and you're either swiping left or you're swiping right, because at this point, questions don't seem to be at the top. And, and that, and that, that's, that leads me to my next question, which is how, how responsible do you really feel questions, taking the time to listen and ask those questions has been for your success as, as a journalist or, or, or even in writing this, in writing the book? Well, I know it's been, it was a reason for my success as a journalist because I mean, I really, um, you have to be curious about people, places, and things, or you can't possibly be a journalist. But I think that curiosity goes even beyond just reporting the facts. And that's where different people have different interests and talents that they bring to this. What I have found is that if I go do a story and I hang out with somebody who's got a problem or they're a student trying to make it in a really challenging environment or they're a low-income person trying to learn a skill so they can break out of poverty or what have you, um, when I've gone to countries and covered issues there, I find that I connect in a really personal way. And I've and I ask, uh, and that's what we should do. If you're a tourist and you're traveling to a country, you can go and just stare at a bunch of things. But do you ever ask people, you know, I mean, imagine you went to Greece today. The economy has collapsed. You know, people have been, well, how are they putting their lives back together again? Uh, you know, how do, do they have a job? Can they get the food they need? Climb into that. What do they do for fun? What kind of sport is it? Um, do they collect cars? You know, I mean, you, I meet people all the time and I love asking these questions because you just get to know them better. And it's the difference, I think, between being a tourist and a guest when you go to another country. It's the difference between getting to know somebody 
superficially or really getting to know their their three dimensions um, over time. So I've, I don't know, I just have been very fortunate to have the job I had. Um, and whatever, whatever small success I had came from my ability to ask. And I hope some small ability to listen. Can that same approach be applied to the self to, you know, in today's world where globalization has hit the work economy and millennials are struggling to find their place in the world and, and not just them, obviously, everyone uh, from all across all generations, uh, unless they, they were able to invest properly and they come from a time where their economy was a little stronger and it seemed to work out. Is, can, is there a way to use questions to ask yourself, what should I invest my, my time in and, and how will I know that's the right one? I find that a lot, of, a lot of what gets in the way of my, let's say my peers today, my age group, it happens to be, and, and this is, you know, someone seeking wisdom here for, for all of us at large. Is there a way to truly ask, set up questions so that you come out with a result that, that you feel confident about when, when you've followed that train of thought and, and what it led to? Is there a way to form, form those questions? Is there, is there an approach that can be used to, to really get to the nitty gritty and really get to know yourself? Because I find that one of the hardest things, uh, one of the most challenging things for people today to do is to say, I know who I am. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good question, actually. Well, I have two chapters in here that might fit this bill, two types of questions. One I call strategic questions. The other I call questions of life, meaning questions. And there are others, but... They really relate to what do you, what do we want to accomplish? How do we want to get there? How much risk are we prepared to take? What matters to us? What would be one thing that you could change in your own life if you could? What would be something you could change in the world if you could? Because that starts to point to what matters. And if you can identify what matters, you work from there. Um, meaning questions, you know, what, what have I accomplished? Who have I touched? Who have I affected and helped? These are things that, that, provide us not just at the end of our lives, but all along a sense of contribution and context and balance. You know, a day can be pretty lousy, but if you step back from the day and you ask yourself, what's one thing I have to be really grateful for? Who did I talk to today who I just really enjoyed? What did I learn today? What, what did I learn today that I can use tomorrow? These are questions that we can pose to ourselves on an ongoing basis and in a disciplined way that are both interesting to answer, provide, I think, some context and direction in our lives. And one thing I was doing for a while, and this was not an original idea, this came from a friend, um, he said every day when he, when he went to work, the first thing he thought about when he had some quiet times, and he would ask himself this, is what am I, what's the one thing I'm most looking forward to today? What's the one thing? Pick something out of the day that he was actually looking forward to. And even if it didn't present itself, find the one thing in the course of the day that amidst everything else would be the most interesting or most anticipated. So I think you want questions that you pose to yourself on an ongoing basis so you can keep coming back to them. Questions that focus you first on something that you value or that you are grateful for to highlight that sense of eagerness and optimism and hope because we have that and we should walk around with it. And then things that focus us on, on not just the short term, but over the horizon. I would ask everybody I interviewed 
what their favorite question was. And Gavin Newsom, who's the current lieutenant governor of California, but who made his name when he was the youngest mayor of San Francisco in 100 years for authorizing the first same-sex marriages there long before the Supreme Court weighed in on marriage equality, uh, has a, 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 a little plaque on his desk, and he moves it around with him. And it's a question. And the question is, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? If you incorporated all the risk, if you gathered yourself up, and if you could accomplish anything you wanted, that's a great question. What would you do if you knew you could not fail? Yeah. And I think it's a better question, too, for, for, for younger people, because, you know, you're focused on the future. You, you have the whole future. You know, somebody who's 67 or 57 you know, doesn't have that horizon. They can still do lots of amazing things and they do all the time. But when you're, you know, 20 or 24 or 30 or 32, you've got an enormous amount of horizon in front of you. And so this sense of what would I do if I knew I could not fail to define it and then figure out what the risks are to go try to do it. And have you got the stomach for it? To take a piece of it? really works. No, I love that. I love that. And it's always refreshing to hear that. And people hear these things. I feel, I feel strongly that people hear these things, but don't often give them enough time to settle in. And it's, it's well, and so- I think they need to succeed completely. You can take a piece of it, right? So let's say you, you want to, you want to, you want to fix climate change. All right. Well, you're not going to fix climate change. One person, not for the whole wide world, but you might be able to do something in your own home or in your own community, you might be able to, to, to teach 12 people. You might be able to lead a, a, a city council, you know, event around something. I mean, if you can identify what matters, you can take a piece of it. And then if you're lucky and you work hard and you're talented, then you can scale it or you can p- partner with others and build out on it. Yeah, that's definitely worth all the marbles right there. <laughs> <laughs> And then just, yeah, just, just could, uh, quickly, one one thing that I'm curious about because you had brought you had sort of mentioned it, something that you were you were doing, you said, and that was uh, something that you borrowed from someone, and that that made me wonder what what is it that you do like when you wake up, or is there is there a certain process whenever you're in doubt that you apply? Let's say money is tight, what am I going to do if that ever happens, or or I've got to make this extra money for something else that I didn't intend to to spend or. It doesn't have to be finances, but it's something that you didn't expect to happen and now you have to deal with it. How how would you manage that? How do you manage that on a day-to-day basis? Because it happens to all of us. Well, you know, I try to, I try to pull priorities out and, and determine what matters. I have three kids and a great wife and a lot of good friends and I put people first. My wonderful sister is, um, lives up in Connecticut and I try to support her and there when I can, which is tough because I live in Washington, so it's not exactly a stone's throw away. Um, it's funny you you ask this. I, when I um, when I was for, when I was overseas, I was based overseas with the Associated Press, and I was based in London as a 24 year old as a foreign correspondent, which was pretty ridiculous. I must have been the most unqualified foreign correspondent in the world, but you know, I faked it, I guess. <laughs> something. <laughs> and in the middle of all of that, at the ripe old age of 26, I got a call in the middle of the night from bureau my, my headquarters back here in Washington saying, you know, you're doing a great job there, but would you consider coming back and being our White House correspondent? And I uttered an expletive in the middle of the night, partly because it was the middle of the night and partly because I wasn't ready to go back. And I realized 
pretty quickly that, you know, I wouldn't have a whole lot of choice because, but somebody had said to me at one point, when you have a major decision in your life, ask yourself, if I don't do this, will I look back and say, what if? It's a great way to time travel and kind of pose a really interesting question to yourself. And I knew instantly that if I didn't take the job at the White House, I have no idea where it was going to lead. None. But if I didn't take it, I could see myself, no matter what I did later in life, as looking back and said, what if I'd taken that job at the White House? What would I have seen and experienced? I love that question. And I think that that can work in a lot of different places. If I, an opportunity comes along, a choice comes along, a fork in the road comes along, you say, if I don't do this, will I ask myself one, three, five, ten years from now, what if? And if the answer is yes, you probably should try it. Risk and all. Mm-hmm. Because you're telling yourself something. So that would be one way I'd answer your question. No, I think that was, I think that was a great way to answer that question. I'm truly honored that you took the time to, to stop by. I know you have an incredibly busy schedule uh, and for you to make the time to share this wisdom. And I read somewhere, I can't remember where, and I'm probably going to chop this up into a million bits and pieces. But I think it said every unasked question is an unopened door. And, and I think that what you've done here and what you've done in that book is a perfect example of how many doors are closed to those who don't know to ask. Well, I, I, I'm honored that you asked me to join you. Um, and I think that, that what you're doing in your creative space and in connecting personal philosophy to contribution and creativity is really intriguing and interesting and important. There's some magic that comes from sitting with someone, not me, but anybody really, and getting to know them and drawing them out and figuring out what makes them tick and what their ups and downs and highs and lows and fit successes and failures are all about. We're all a story, right? We're all characters in our own story. So thank you. I mean, I'm, 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 I've really enjoyed the conversation and I look forward to more. Absolutely. You're definitely getting an additional email. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure. It really has. Absolutely. Amazing. Awesome. Frank, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for listening. I hope this blueprint will help you own the rhythm in your space. Feel free to subscribe and reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter at Philip Lanos, P-H-I-L-L-I-P-L-A-N-O-S. Also, you can visit ownTheRhythm.com if you want help producing your podcast. Open heart, open mind, and ask questions. Stay tuned for the next blueprint.